As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. In this series, C.S. Lewis expert Professor Alistair McGrath is delving into the Space Trilogy, arguably one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction. We'll be exploring the three books in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. Alistair, fear of evil seems to, to most of us to be completely understandable, but there's a passage at the beginning of the novel where the narrator appears to be suggesting that good can also be quote-unquote dreadful. What is Lewis trying to say here? Is there a particular point that he's trying to convey? I, c- I can read a little bit of the passage if that's helpful. Let's read it out. I think, I think that would be a very good thing to do. So he says, and this is the narrator speaking, My fear was now of another kind. I felt sure that the creature was what we call good, but I wasn't sure whether I liked goodness so much as I had supposed. This is a very terrible experience. Uh, And then it goes on to say, as long as what you are afraid of is something evil, you may still hope that the good may come to your rescue. But suppose you struggle through to the good and find that it is also dreadful. Well, it's a very important point. I mean, what Lewis talks about in his own narrative of conversion, surprised by joy, is this this growing realization that God is approaching him. And alongside this, the fear, I don't really want this to happen. It's happening. I don't want it to happen. And this anxiety about what this God is going to be like, because what Lewis is saying really is a matter of truth. I have to take take God for what he is. Um, and it, And if I construct an image of God, which is based on my own expectations and um, desires, in other words, a, a sort of holy, beautiful and good God, what do I do if God turns out to be something different? Because there isn't anyone else I can go to. And Lewis does explore that point in Surprise by Joy. And I think it, it is a very important point because something can be dreadful in the sense of full of dread. In other words, it, it's the kind of approach that... Um, we find in Rudolf Otto's book, um, The Holy, which, of course, Lewis regards as one of his favorite books, which is that, in effect, um, we, we, we are drawn to God's transcendence, and yet we are also frightened of it. it, it that, that We're frightened of it because we're not fully sure what God is like and also not fully sure how we are going to react to this. 
So Lewis, I think, is bringing out a theme which is there in some of the works he read on the idea of the transcendence. And he's really trying to make the point that it's not good enough to say that kind of way we're drawn to God because God's really lovely. He's saying we're drawn to God because God is God, and then we find out what God is really like. Um, and Lewis is there exploring the hypothetical point, which is what happens if God turns out to be something we don't like. And yet there isn't any alternative, is there? And it's one which Lewis um, resolved, I think, quite nicely in, in um, Surprised by Joy. But in this um, narrative, he is, I think, really beginning to raise questions about the the, the theogamy, the, the, the understanding of God that we find in these three novels. Uh, what are these gods really like? Uh, and what do we do if we don't like them? And of course, you can extrapolate from that to the wider question about how it relates to the Christian understanding of God. Uh, here's the question really which Lewis is raising. Where do I look for, for a definitive disclosure of what God is actually like? And of course, that points us towards the incarnation. But the incarnation doesn't play a major role in Surprised by Joy. It, but it, it, is, it is Lewis pointing to the solution of the question he raises. Thanks for that, Alistair. Uh, I don't know if this is your favourite part of the book, but when I've spoken to people about the trilogy, most people say that their favourite line in the, in the whole trilogy is that it's, it's not for nothing that you are named Ransom. What did Lewis mean by this? And, and why has it become sort of everyone's favourite line, do you think? Well, Lewis doesn't tell us. Um, but <laughs> obviously, people have really enjoyed reflecting on this. And... Um, one of the questions would be, um, is in some way Ransom um, a Christ figure? Now, obviously, we don't press that too far. Aslan clearly is in um, uh, the, 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 the Narnia Chronicles. Ransom, I'm not so sure about, but there is this theme of um, Ransom as a name. And very often, of course, a name discloses significance. In other words, um, if you think of the name Jesus, you know, um, Jesus, that, that is Yeshua, God saves. You know, that is, there, there's a theology embedded in that name. In other words, the name of Jesus Christ actually gives you clues as to the significance of Jesus Christ. Is Ransom doing the same thing here for us, perhaps by pointing to the idea here is someone who was able to deliver us from our captivity to the various um, elemental forces that we encounter in Paralandra, though, of course, much more significantly on Earth, as we'll see in The Hideous Strength. But I think one of the points that's being made here is that maybe Ransom's name is disclosing the significance of the human situation. We need deliverance. And in some way, maybe Ransom is being uh, being identified as someone who can actually bring about, at least in part, something of that change. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled 
Jesus' death, resurrection and return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. Later in that conversation, um, the voice, whatever that is, says, my name also is Ransom, doesn't it? Well, it does. Um, and again, that is, that is um, again, inviting uh, us to reflect on the connection between um, what we call deep reality and the figures we're encountering here. And it's raising this question, how on earth do we, through um, human agency or created agency, learn something about this deeper truth which we believe lies behind them. And we see something of it there. Is this, in effect, drawing on the gospel baptismal narratives? You know, in other words, a, sort of a, a theological interpretation from on high? Mm, it could be, could be. And that's one of the things Lewis just does. He lets these things dangle. You know, um, you, know you go away thinking, I wonder, but I'm not sure. But, but, you know, that is the point of a novel, to make us wonder. Alistair, do you think it's significant that a particular injury inflicted on one of the characters, again, won't go into detail to to give away the plot, but it is left unhealed at the end of the novel? Is Lewis trying to make a point through that, do you think? Well, Ransom's foot um, is an issue here. Okay, so let's just think about this. If you think about Ransom's foot, think of an obvious parallel from Greek mythology, Achilles' heel. That's our point of vulnerability. You know, in effect, we are wounded, we're damaged, and we can't heal it. It's not that it hasn't been healed. Maybe it's unhealable by human agency. And that, that's, that, that, to me, was one of the obvious parallels that occurred to me when I, I read that, I have to say. But I think there's also something else here, again, which is something that Lewis is perfectly aware of, and that is the, the idea of the wounded healer, that, in effect, um, we, you know, for the, for the Christian faith, uh, Christ is the one who heals us, but he's one who is wounded. And it's because he's been wounded, he's able to heal us. So Lewis is maybe just beginning to tease us a bit in thinking about what Ransom is going to do, where it's going to take us. But it's also, I think, just reminding us that the whole idea of healing requires the one who heals us. To, in, to have kind of way gone through what we know to be our situation. In other words, um, a healer is something, someone who has to have something of this potential to connect with humanity if he's to bring healing to us. Alistair, just as we come to the end of looking at this book and, and looking towards that hideous strength, is it significant, do you think, that Ransom seems to look, I quote, seemingly 10 years younger when he got back from Perilandia. Was Lewis trying to sort of say anything of consequence through that? Well, one of the questions is whether um, whether Lewis is drawing on 
contemporary understandings of time travel, whether actually, you know, Einstein's idea that if you travel through time, actually, it may seem to take quite a long time, but actually it doesn't because of the the fact you're traveling at high speed. I'm not sure that really applies here. But one thing that might uh, be um, coming out of this is that in some way, ransom has been purified, that, that something has happened, um, either to equip him for his next um, his next mission, if I can put it like that, but like the Mission Impossible movie series. Um, but I, I, I think Lewis is clearly saying to us there's something significant here that immersion in Paralandra in many ways may seem to have refreshed him in order to equip him for his next task. Hypothetical, I don't know really, but it's interesting to reflect on these things. And Alistair, finally, do you have a favourite moment in Paralandra? Well, everyone has a favourite moment. Mine is, and I hinted this earlier, is the description of the dance. Because, I mean, it's it's a classic theme from late Renaissance literature, uh, the idea of a dance being a way of expressing beauty and order. Um, and Lewis picks this up and does some wonderful things with it. And for me, it, it's beautifully narrated, it's beautifully described, but it's this sense there's something happening in front of your eyes that is so beautiful and graceful and elegant that you cannot simply observe. You have to step in and participate. And that's Lewis getting across this idea that an encounter with God or an encounter with beauty is not something something that, that can be experienced at a distance. You have to kind of draw near and step into it. And that's that's a point that Lewis will develop in the Chronicles of Narnia, where the children become initially observers and then participants within the story of Narnia. But it's also, I think, a very helpful understanding of what the Christian understanding of faith is. It's not simply saying, oh, look, that's lovely. That, that's really, really nice. It's about saying, I want to step into that and be part of that. That's my story. And that that's something I think Lewis brings out very, very clearly in that beautiful image of the dance. Alistair, thank you so much. We're going to be moving on to that hideous strength in the next few episodes. I look forward to that very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.